I don't like the images that are associated with like the spirituality and the tradition I'm a part of. They don't feel fresh. They don't feel human. They feel like some kind of other story from a long time ago. Does nothing to do with now. And one of my muses as a teacher is to go, the only reason any faith tradition tells old stories is because those stories are still happening right now. Welcome to Sacred Ordinary Days, a show helping you reimagine your life with Christ. One that leads you to become more wholly human, more fully faithful. I'm Jen Giles Kemper. Every episode, I'll guide us through faith-centering explorations with women and men across denomination, tradition, and background. We'll talk about vocation, family life, discernment, and everything that's forming us. And at the close of every episode, I'll send you off with a question to reflect on and a prayer to carry with you. In my work as a minister and spiritual director, I help others create and tend to their own spiritual rhythms, and I've seen fruit of incorporating rest into my own life too. So about once a month, we'll offer the short Sabbath episode with just the question and prayer. Here, you are welcome. Here, you belong. This is Sacred Ordinary Days. So grab your cup of tea or coffee and join me at the table. Five years ago, I launched Sacred Ordinary Days on Kickstarter with the creation of our first liturgical planner. We offered it as a fresh approach to spiritual formation. And since then, we've grown into a whole team. One of the resources we've started offering our community is a curated online book and gift shop for those looking to further their Christian spiritual formation. Scott Erickson, you heard him at the top of the show already, is a featured author in our Sacred Ordinary Days shop, and his quirky, thoughtful work on prayer has been a favorite for our team and our customers this year, which is why we are thrilled to have added Scott's newly released book, Honest Advent, to the shop as well. We're kicking off the show by exploring the season of Advent, the first season in the Christian year. And here's why. In the season of Advent, we remember the many years, centuries really, that the people of God waited for the long-prophesied Messiah, who eventually arrived through the birth of Jesus. The word Advent, in fact, means coming or arrival. It marks the beginning of the liturgical year, and it's where the story begins. I gave Scott a call to explore rekindling the wonder of God with us in this season. He shares about the vulnerability of parenthood, prayer, and art. I hope this conversation will be a gift to you. It certainly was to me. And be sure to listen to the end of the episode where Scott reads an excerpt from Honest Advent, his latest book. Now, welcome to the conversation. Scott, you are, well, you're lots of things. You're a writer, you're a painter, you're a parent, you're a spouse. And hearing about your vocational journey over the years has been fascinating to me, but I'd love to just hear you talk about how did you come to be performing and creating art and writing books? You're also a spiritual director, but I think like me, probably one-on-one spiritual direction with people is not a core part of that ministry and calling for you. So would you just tell me about your vocational journey and how you got to where you're at? I'm an artist because I'm a haunted person. Like I'm an artist because like, 
things come to me every day and they're like, make me. And I'm like, I can't, I'm driving right now. I'll get an accident, like make me, or we'll go away to somebody else. I'm like, fine. And I pull over and I draw it. You know, I'm like, I'm releasing the haunting. I've never thought of it as a haunting or called it that, but hearing you talk about it that way, it mirrors my own experience. I'm not a visual artist, but it's a big part of my own discernment and how I experience God and how I figure out what I'm called to at any given time. And also it's a way that I feel like I'm prepared ongoingly for the next thing as it comes. The haunting is like this thing that's invisible is coming into my midst without me asking it. It just like, without permission, it just comes. Haunting. I'll be honest, it was not a word I expected to hear as I prepared for this conversation with Scott about Advent. But the imagery that Scott uses to describe his vocation as artist and storyteller stuck with me. Because when we reflect on Advent, we know it's no new practice for us to wait in the dark. We, all of us, live in a world of shadows. Okay, well, we'll talk more about shadows in an upcoming episode with Tish Oxenreiter. But for now, let's get back to Scott. Scott's journey began as a high school art teacher. Can you believe that? And lucky for all of us, it didn't end there. I found myself in my 20s being a high school art teacher. I went to this Bible school program in Europe, and I was gone from the United States for about a year, and I traveled a bit. I noticed that I would do art um, just on my own. Like I would make time to go into the basement. There was a space and I would just like do drawings and stuff like that. And I was like, wow, this is something that's in me. I need to make a space for it when I get home. And so when I got home, which was Seattle, Washington at the time, uh, I ended up getting this studio space in this church attic. And I just was like painting on the side just a couple nights a week while I was working. And so I remember being in my class during my prep period and writing on the board and just like, I just stopped and I was like, there's something else for me. I don't know what it is, but I can feel this invitation to something. An invitation into something. Maybe you felt that in your life too. This invitation continued. Every concert he went to, even as he traveled after going to shows with friends, he just kept feeling that tug, the pull to create, to pursue art. I remember flying home and I was like, if I never try to be an artist, I'll always regret it. I don't even know what that fully means, like being an artist, but I'll always regret it. And I was like, I gotta, I gotta just choose this. So I quit teaching. I, I stayed waiting tables, dedicated myself to full-time art. Scott began doing live paintings for concerts, churches, and conferences. In fact, he spent about a decade doing that. And during this time, he got married. Kids came to their family too. And at that point, as life seems to go, something happened. And I found myself in my late 30s, laid off with a family of four at the time going, I don't know what the hell to do anymore. <laughs> and that's when this very deep conversation again came through a series of like disappointing failures where it was like, am I still called to be an artist? Not just as a person, but like as a job. And the, and the answer was yes. How do you make money as an artist? What is the stuff you want to talk about? Obscurity is a very painful place to end up, but it is also the foundation from which you start to have a voice, a distinct voice. Some friends of mine ran this church and it, they were, I lost my studio space and they were like, you can have the space in the basement. I built out this little studio. There's no windows. They kept the trash down there once a week. So it smelled like garbage. And I wasn't involved in anything. And I just remember being down there 
and the question was, what do you want to talk about? Like, what do you want to talk about? And I was like, I hate how the culture I live in talks about God. It doesn't make any sense to me anymore. I want to talk about God differently. Like, I don't like the images that are associated with like the spirituality and the tradition I'm a part of. They don't feel fresh. They don't feel human. They feel like some kind of other story from a long time ago. It does nothing to do with now. And one of my muses as a teacher is to go, the only reason any faith tradition tells old stories is because those stories are still happening right now. I love your approach to your work. I think it's similar to the way that I approach work that I start with either like a problem that I want to see someone solve. Maybe I just want someone to solve it, or maybe I feel particularly equipped to solve it. Or I just start with like this sense that I'm supposed to do something and then I start doing it. And then as it unfolds, the next thing comes, the next thing comes, but it's from kind of removing that poverty of imagination. And of course you don't like remove a poverty of imagination. You cultivate imagination, you create space. And in that creation of space, in that attentiveness, presence, you notice the next thing. When did you first start calling your experience a haunting and, and reckoning with it? Was it all the way back as a high school art teacher where you first said like, no, I really have to like be an artist or did you start putting that haunting language around it later? That's a great question. I, nobody's ever asked me that question. So bravo. I will send you a gold star. Uh, <laughs> like when I've asked like my parents or my wife, I'm like, do you get these kind of downloads? And they're like, no. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, I think you, you just, I started becoming aware that I was invited to a, a certain kind of dance. It doesn't make me more special than others. It's just how it's just the doorway that I've discovered was opening up in me. And like, it's really hard to describe, but like, I, and I guess you would call, you know, imagination is the faculty or the space that images are formed. Um, so you, so if we could imagine there's like this room in you that the future comes to and goes, this is a possibility. And you go, oh, okay. And then it's like inviting you into that future possibility. And we call that space imagination. Um, and prayer can happen there. It's in fact, mostly prayer. Um, but imagination can also lead us down destructive paths as well. So we have to be very careful in what we curate in there. Okay, so while you're processing <laughs> this part of Scott's vocational journey, we've got a little break. I've invited Kayla, my podcast producer, new friend and co-creator here to share about something that actually connected us way in the beginning, which was her using the Sacred Ordinary Days planner. Kayla, would you share? Hey, Kayla here. As Jen mentioned, I'm the producer behind Sacred Ordinary Days with Jen Giles Kemper. I wanted to let you know something because before I was ever on the Sacred Ordinary Days team, I was actually a customer. I love the liturgical planner. I had a friend who told me about it, who honestly wouldn't stop talking about it. And finally, <laughs> this year, 2020 brought me to my knees and I knew I needed something to help me stay intentional and rooted in love of God and others. And honestly, to love myself as well. And the planner has really done that for me. It's really 
been a resource for me to take care of myself and to be intentional with my family and my friends and my work and my community. And I wanted to let you know that at sacredordinarydays.com right now, shipping is absolutely free for as much as you buy in the bookshop with all the spiritual formation books like Scott's book that you're hearing about today, um, but also these planners. This is something I really love. I recommend. I already have mine ready for the new year. Um, And I think you might really like it too. So visit sacredordinarydays.com and just check out the liturgical planners. Download one of the previews. See if you like it. I think you really, really will. And up until the last day of 2020, shipping is absolutely free. So take a chance, try it out. I think you're going to love it. And now I will let you get back to Jen and Scott and their conversation about vulnerability and arts and parenthood and Advent. Thanks friends. It sounds like Honest Advent came from a similar experience that you had where you were sharing different art that you had created to explore what it means for God to be incarnate and human and covered in flesh and come through a woman's body and be born, which you have kids, I have kids. That's a whole thing. Like, (laughs) you know, the story, the story that we get about Mary is all too tidy. And so I'm not surprised at all that especially a lot of women really resonated with the ways that you were exploring God being born as a human and coming in Advent. So that led to your book, right? When we were bringing this around to different publishers, some of the women at the table were like, why would, what does a man have to say about, why is a man like drawing these pregnancy pictures and (laughs) discussing this? And it's a great question. I was like, that's a valid question. And I immediately say like, oh, I could never fully communicate what it must be like to be a mom. And to, and to birth life out of you. I, ha- I have no idea. In fact, I say like in the book, I'm like, I ask my wife all the time, like, d- describe it to me. What's it like? You know, and she can only kind of through limited language can describe what it's like. But, but I have bared witness to it. And I think what I wanted to do was go, can I bear witness to what I have seen uh, as a spouse, as a partner, as a father to the risk and the vulnerability of birth? And this all started like four years ago in a, in a time that was very similar to now, which was a divisive and exhausting election, um, massive destruction in Syria, multiple school shootings. There was the Zika virus, Flint water crisis, a lot of, a lot of awful things. And then it was like mid-November, and I, I think I was going to Target or CVS or something, and, and then the dusting of Christmas decorations had fallen on everything, you know, like it does. And you're like, oh, yeah, Christmas. And I love Christmas. I'm a big fan. I love it. It's great. I'm all about the decorations and the ceremony. But this particular year, I just was like, man, this feels irrelevant to the world I live in. It was just even my own Christian imagery from the tradition I'm from was just like, it's sanitized. Jesus looks like he's three months old and he's had a bath and he can hold his head up, you know? And I was like, that's not the alien baby they give you right after pregnancy. And I was like, I was like, pregnancy's painful. It's risky. It's uncomfortable. It's got a lot of fluids involved. And I was like, it, it's very vulnerable. And 
what hit me was like the divine incarnating into our world came through the same way we all do, which is human vulnerability. And what I was asking was just like, Jesus, like, where do I find you in the midst of this? Because this ritual that we've come up with feels really shallow now and empty. And I was like, where are you in this? And then and I was musing like, well, is Christmas a memorial service or a birthday party? Because a memorial service is like, this happened long ago. Yay. And a birthday party means it's still happening. And if you ask any kid at Sunday school, what's Christmas? They're like, it's Jesus' birthday. So it infers that it's still going on. And I was like, how is it still going on? And where I was led to was going, it's going on still through human vulnerability. So perhaps you are someone who does a lot of reflecting on the places and spaces and people that make you feel most vulnerable, most exposed. That's been a lot of my work the last few years. In fact, it's been a lot of my work since I was introduced to the Enneagram, I don't know, a few years ago from some friends and colleagues, and turns out I'm an eight. Turns out vulnerability is like my least favorite place to hang out. Also, thank God for Brene Brown. Okay, but where my vulnerability most comes out is I care so much about doing good work. And also doing good work means you have to be a beginner. You have to start at the beginning. All of your old stories come up every time you start a new project, a new creative endeavor. And that is the point. I have intentionally started this podcast because it makes all of my inner gunk come out because I care so much about doing it really well. It's also why I brought Kayla alongside me as a podcast producer. But another place that my vulnerability is kind of most on display is in my parenting. Like the screaming memes, that's a thing. <laughs> Particularly when you've got one or two kids in your lap and then another is hurtling themselves towards something dangerous and they're not listening to what you're saying and you cannot physically stop them. Like, you know, you're in charge of this person. You're in charge of their safety and well-being. And yet it is an act of vulnerability to ask them to stop, to tell them to stop, knowing that ultimately you still can't do everything and that it is part of the gift of relationship, of connection, that trust is earned and is necessary for any of the rest of it to work. Okay, now back to the conversation. I love that you have said that that your children and your family aren't in the way from you being faithful, from you doing the work you're called to, but that they really are the way. And I think that particularly the art that you've created, the book that you've written around Honest Advent comes out of that posture. So I'm I'm curious if you'd say more about the ways in which your children maybe help you rekindle wonder. I I met with this woman for a little bit and our first intake session is like an hour and a half of questions. And the question that floored me was, Scott, what are your hobbies? <laughs> and I was like, excuse me? She's like, what are your hobbies? And I was like, you mean things other than taking care of children and working? I was like, I don't have any hobbies. And that haunted me in a different way. It stuck with me because I was like, a hobby is really, what do you do to just enjoy living? That's all a hobby is. It's just, just like, what do you do that doesn't have an outcome or a test or an accomplishment? It's just something you do to like being alive. And I was found myself at a spot where I was like, I don't do anything to like being alive. 
children force you to like being alive because they stand in the way of the rat race of accomplishment. One of the things that I see as like a tenant of being a person who doesn't flame out or lead to some big scandal is like, I have to have a secret life with God that informs my public life with God. And I remember talking with my spiritual director when our prayer book got a publishing deal. And so we re-released it. And I remember a bunch of churches were like going to use it. I was talking to my spiritual director and I was like, man, like I know four different churches that were like, we're going to do a series on prayer because people are like, I just don't know how to pray anymore. And my director, he meets with like a lot of the head pastors in Portland. And he goes, Scott, can I tell you that like everybody I meet doesn't have a prayer life? They're all so busy doing ministry that to ask them, like, when was the last time you just got away for a few hours with God and pray? They're like, I haven't. And not to condemn those men and women, but it hit me. It was like, what is the essence of what I do? I am a listener. I get that. I'm a listener. Maybe you are too. In fact, in so many ways, listening is baked into everything we do here at Sacred Ordinary Days. Because I was like, that is my job, is to just be a listener, is to, is, to, is to make space to foster a conversation, a secret relationship with the divine, and then have the work I, that I do come from that. Like, if you're going to be a person who's going to speak about a relationship with God, you have to do it. And for me, that involves a lot of grace. Uh, and a lot of forgiveness. One of the things I've had to work on recently is feeling like I probably the rest of my life, I'll never feel like I can accomplish good spirituality. I'm always going to feel like a failure. So why don't you just make that failure, that feeling of failure, the doorway that connects you to God? Failure as a doorway that connects us to God? (laughs) Ugh, that's an idea I am still sitting with all throughout this Advent season. Noticing the spirit as it stirs in the midst of deep silence and stillness. So I asked Scott how he's approaching Advent this year. A lot of things in our lives have been affected by a global pandemic, whether we like it or not. We feel very vulnerable in a lot of ways. Career, as people, as people in a country with politics, you know, economically, all of these things. Our vulnerability is the place that we can connect with God deeply. What what I hope Honest Advent does is help mirror that this isn't a story that just happened back then. It's, It's a story that's happening right now. Like Christ is still in our midst. It's still happening today in your unexpected change of plans, your unaccomplished dreams, your humble new beginnings. Christ is coming in our midst now. Um, let's receive that newborn King through our vulnerability. And that is good news as we have so, so many places that we are certainly still praying for Christ to come in our lives, in our marriages, in our relationships with our kids, in our work, in our world, in our politics. There are so many places that I'm inviting Christ to come and waiting expectantly for a whole season seems particularly fitting this year. So I'm grateful to you to have a conversation and to start getting to know you in a new way after um, being grateful for your work for a long time. This has been a delightful conversation. Thanks for having questions I've never been asked before. Haunting, vulnerability, expectation, 
so much to reflect on after our first episode together. I hope this conversation was as life-giving for you as it was for our team. And now a sneak peek of Honest Advent. Okay, so here's the deal. You might've seen people reading this book all month long. This might be the first time you're hearing about it and you'll feel tempted to feel like it's too late. Let Scott's words wash over you right where you are right now. It's not too late. You didn't miss anything. Here's Scott. Chapter one, Annunciation. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Luke chapter 1, verses 28 through 29, New Living Translation. I presume most of us would invite a divine annunciation. To have some otherworldly being deliver a message from the Almighty sounds like everything we've been hoping for. How often do we anguish over life decisions and direction, and how incredible would it be to receive a definitive answer from the Lord of Lords? It would be the story you would tell over and over again. How you were sitting in the drive through line for your iced Americano with cream and two pumps of classic syrup, and suddenly a divine voice spoke clear as day, as if through the very drive through speaker, and laid out the glorious plan for your life. Or one night, You had a fantastically vivid dream, and when you awoke, you knew with certainty what the next steps were, or how you tumbled out of a wrecked car on the side of the interstate, lifted by the arms of a stranger who appeared out of nowhere, who told you it was time to do that thing you've been afraid of and have been putting off for years. You turned to look at the oncoming fire trucks, and when you turned back to the stranger, he was gone. Oh, it was an angel. What? It would be the thing that people ask you to tell at every dinner party. It would be awesome to have this kind of story in your life. But if I'm honest, I'm actually afraid of revelation. All great stories come at a cost. And the cost of revelation is that it's going to ask something of us. In any divine enunciation, you receive revelation as a gift Yet at the same time, you receive notice that all that you had planned is ending. It's all over. Everything will change, most of all, you. And maybe that is a welcome change. Maybe you are reading this thinking, God, I could use a change. And maybe you're ready for such a transformation. But the rub of revelation is that it's a transformation you're not in charge of. We all have areas in which we would love transformation. For example, me a never-ending daddy tummy, a proclivity to melancholy, an inability to enjoy the last few Star Wars films. Sorry, JJ, I tried. Maybe for you, it's a relationship with your in-laws, your finances, your dead-end job with its annoying micromanaging boss, or your unceasing anxiety. But it seems that revelation doesn't transform the places you want to transform. It transforms all the things you dreamed and planned for for your best-case scenario. It's not so hard to see that Mary's transformation could look a lot like ours. How your life would be, whom you'd marry, what your wedding would be like, your first kid's name, how people would think about you and your family in the community where you live, how your kids' lives would turn out, your best laid plans. Revelation is a hard gift to receive. You must give up everything else to receive it. 
like finding a treasure in a field and selling everything you have so you can get that treasure. But then again, she who is willing to accept the cost of revelation finds herself in the deepest of stories. Stories that are so mysterious, divine, and human that we still tell them today. May you receive the light of divine annunciation in the flames of your best laid plans. Scott, thank you. As we go into this week and continue on throughout the Advent season, here's my prayer for you. I pray that you forget the shoulds, the oughts, the last minute thing you found out about and the thing you still hope to find a way to sneak in for a moment. Remember that the invitation of this season is to make space. It's to name the things you hope for and long for, to invite God into them, and to give yourself the space to meet God in those places, to do the work that is yours to do, to create the space that is yours to create, to hold the tensions that are yours to hold, and to let the rest go. It matters not if you have lit a single candle. It matters not if you have sung a single song. What matters is that being human requires, requires lots of seasons of darkness, lots of seasons of preparation for things to come. Some of them end up coming, some of them don't, but we prepare anyway. It includes lots of seasons of waiting, hoping, praying, holding alreadys right alongside not yet's. So that's the point. The point is that it teaches us how to do this part of being human by letting us practice, by reminding us that in our darkness, we can light small candles by reminding us that in our waiting when we can muster hope and joy and peace and love when we can make space for God to come it works better so as you continue on into this season know that it, like every other season, simply extends you an invitation into the fullness of your humanity. It is a beautiful gift if you will receive it. I'm grateful that Scott helped us see it that way. So here's my question. How are you going to embrace something or someone that makes you feel exposed and vulnerable this week I'm not letting you off the hook this week next week we're continuing our advent series by exploring the psalms as a guide into both the shadow and light present in our shared humanity the conversation with my friend Tish Oxenreiter is one I cannot wait to share with you we're Sacred Ordinary Days on Instagram and Facebook, and you can find links to this episode, including all three of Scott's books in our shop, our Advent Spotify playlist, and more of Scott's art at sacredordinarydays.com podcast. 
and don't forget. Our remaining planners are $5 off until they're gone and our whole shop has free shipping through the end of 2020. In fact, you can see a preview and even try it for a whole month free at sacredordinarydays.com planner. I'm Jen Giles Kemper. Until next time, this is Sacred Ordinary Days. Sacred Ordinary Days is hosted by Jen Giles Kemper and written and produced by Kayla Craig. Sacred Ordinary Days is a show helping you reimagine your life with Christ, one that leads you to become more holy human, more fully faithful. Support these conversations by subscribing and leaving a rating and review at Apple Podcasts. To learn more, visit sacredordinarydays.com. Thanks for listening.